Praise God. Well, we're going to have fun today. Um, we're starting a new series called Abound, and it's going to be out of 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. We'll read it in just a second, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, and uh, we're going to talk about our resources, and that includes money, but it's not limited to money. The most valuable resource that you have is actually your time. You can always get more money, but you can't get more time. And so we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, we're, we're calling this series Abound, God, Money, and Grace. And uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. What this is saying, if you can get this picture, is that God wants to abound. He wants to come towards you, leaping and abounding, somebody said, with all kinds of grace. Now, grace is a bunch of things, but it's the divine enablement. It's the resources of heaven. So imagine God running towards you with wisdom and resources and power and love, and He's abounding towards you in all these things for what purpose? so that you might in turn abound to every good work. There's meant to be this funnel coming from heaven of resources and wisdom and God's grace, and it's to flow to us, certainly, but also through us, so that we can affect uh, those around us in our family, in our community, in our city, ultimately our nation, and the world. There's a lot of good things going on in the world, and I want to be a part of all of them. And it says I can abound to every good work. This is one of the reasons I wanted to start a church, is that I, I believe that as the church grew and as we continued to bless more and more people, that God would bring us resources and wisdom, and that we would be able to enable and empower lots of different ministries. And that's really my goal. I'm really excited about what we're doing right now and all the great things that we're seeing happen but I believe that as the church grows, there will be lots of ministries that, that are birthed out of here, that function out of here, and that we'll be able to touch lots of different spheres of society. Um, I believe God's going to help us touch the educational sphere and the artistic sphere, and I think it's going to be really um, amazing. So uh, anyway, so this is big picture, what we want to see happen, and I'm believing for all of us to grow and abound more and more. Now, a big part of that has to do with our, with actually with money and how we relate to money. And I want to talk about how to have a healthy relationship with money. The Bible has a lot to say about finances. Uh, and people struggle a lot of times in the area of finances. And, and um, we could do well to hear what the Bible has to say about it. Now, full disclosure, I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm not, I'm not a financial guru. I'm not going to give you stock advice, but I can teach you about what the Bible has to say. And uh, despite the fact that I think we really need this kind of instruction, uh, it's often hard to talk about in church. And when you announce that you're going to talk about money, a lot of times <laughs> that's a good way to keep people away from church. And uh, uh, I was thinking about this. Why is it that we don't like to talk about money in church, and I felt like there's really two reasons. The first one typically has to do with personal shame associated with the area of finances, and all of us 
if we're honest, you know, we've, we've probably made poor decisions at times with some of our money. We've probably all bought something that after we bought it, we were like, God, why did I buy that? That was a major waste of money. Sometimes we go into, you know, credit card debt or we make decisions that aren't, aren't wise. And over time, these things can compound. And, you know, I've done financial counseling with people and things, and sometimes people get behind on stuff. And what happens is they, they stress out about it so much that they'll take all the bills and kind of put it, you know, hide it in, in a drawer somewhere and close the drawer and don't look at it. Well, I understand that because it's difficult to look at those things because they can feel overwhelming. But how many of you know that, that not looking at them only makes the thing worse over time? And so um, the other thing we tend to do sometimes is look around and look at other people and think, wow, you know, other people are... They must be doing so much better than me, and we compare ourselves among ourselves, and, and the Bible says that's not wise. And, you know, all these things, they minister to us lies about our, our worth and value. And, and we want you to know that regardless of, of how you're doing financially, God loves you, and your value has nothing to do with that. It has nothing, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, money is just a part of life that we can learn how to do better, and so that's, that's part of our goal. But, you know, one of the things we're meant to learn as children, and I think a lot of times we do learn this, but then we forget, because kids many times are smarter than us. And, uh, you know, the Bible says you've got to become like a little child to enter the kingdom, right? But, but my kids, when they uh, get a, a boo-boo, a lot of times what they'll do is hide it. Anybody? Not, now, I mean, they'll come, they'll come crying, but they don't want me to look at it. You know, they've got a boo-boo on their elbow, and they're covering it. Ah, I got, you know, I hurt myself. Well, let me see it. No. <laughs> Why not? Well, because they're afraid that if I see it, if I look at it, and they really don't want me to touch it. Because they're afraid it's going to hurt worse. And sometimes that's a legitimate concern, because sometimes your kids get a splinter. Do you remember getting a splinter as a kid? And then mom gets the tweezers. I had this deadly fear of tweezers as a kid. I, we had this wooden fence outside the back of my house, and I'd climb on it. One time I got a splinter, and I'm like, i got to hide this from Mom. But here's the thing. If we hide it, what can happen? can get infected. can become a major problem. And if, if I will put up with temporary pain, the temporary pain of the tweezers pulling the thing out, it leaves me with long-term blessing. A lot of life is about learning to deal with temporary pain for long-term blessing. This is called delayed gratification. I say no to myself temporarily in the present so that I can say a bigger yes later on. So what we're meant to do in our financial situation, if it's not, if it's not good, I just want to encourage you, don't, don't hide it, don't... Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't cover over it. Don't feel ashamed. Shame, all it does is it keeps you trapped in, in the problem. And what Jesus does is he lifts shame off and he says, Look, I died to fix all your problems. All your sins are forgiven. Quit freaking out so much and just let me look at it. Let me touch it a little bit. Let me touch the boo-boo. That's what dad says, all right? I'm, I'm, sometimes dad can be a little stern. Look, just take your hand off. Let me touch it. I'll fix it. I promise. 
okay? <laughs> so number four on your notes, the key to overcoming in any area is, first of all, to know that you're loved and accepted right where you are. I don't care if your finances are messed up. God loves you. I love you. We just want it to be better. That's why we're talking about it. Maturity is about learning to accurately assess areas of weakness and work on them without becoming overcome by feelings of shame. It's just, it's just I've got to learn, okay, I can, I can receive feedback, I can receive constructive criticism and not be overcome with shame. I had to learn this, you wouldn't really know it, but as, as an English major, and I love writing, and all throughout high school, I could just sit down and I could write something in like 30 minutes and I'd get an A. And everybody would be like, wow, great writing, you know, because I read books and I could throw in some big words and everybody was impressed. But when I got to college, they actually demanded that I write well. And I, and I, got, a, I got a C on this paper, which I, I was like, oh, my gosh. And I had to go into this guy, Dr. Meats, and he was very intimidating. And uh, he, he taught me how to write better. And I had to learn how to receive feedback. And I remember feeling, I, I remember I couldn't sleep the night before because he, he was going to, I mean, he was blasting my writing. <laughs> he was saying, this isn't good, and this isn't in the right place, and he didn't make sense here. But as I honestly looked at my paper, guess what? He was right. <laughs> and when I fixed it, I became a better writer. And so what they taught me was, look, divorce your value from the things that you do. I do stuff. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but that's not my value. You really want to learn how to work on that, go write a creative paper, and then, and then you, you, we'd have to sit in a circle, and everybody would talk about how bad the writing was, and, and you couldn't say anything. That was the, the rule. You couldn't defend yourself. The second reason that I think people don't like to talk about money or hear about money in church is a fear of manipulation. When I was growing up, my grandparents went to a Baptist church, and my family and I went to a Nazarene church across town, and every now and then, my grandparents would show up at our church. And when that happened, you pretty much knew that that was the Sunday they were going to talk about giving. <laughs> and uh, I remember my, now my grandparents are amazing people. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them at all. I, <laughs> to be honest, he had a fair point. And it's, and, um, but he told me, he said, you know, Max, if I have to hear one more sermon about the widow's might, I think I'm going to puke. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I get it. I think, I think sometimes there's passive-aggressive communication that comes from, from pulpits. And uh, what happens is that pastors are people too, and, and sometimes the offerings go down, and that feels painful, and, and people start to fear a little bit, and so they, they communicate passive-aggressively from the pulpit, and that doesn't feel good. They try to manipulate a little bit, and, and um, those things are real. And, I, I, and on behalf of pastors, if that's happened to you and you've ever felt pressured to give or guilted into giving or something like that, I, I want to apologize. And that, that's not right. And that's not what we, we stand for. The Bible says that in the New Testament, God loves a cheerful giver. We want you to give because you want to, not because you feel obligated. Um, so just set your mind at ease. It's really, that's really not why. We will talk about giving uh, for, for one message. But most of the time, we're just talking about a holistic picture of how to deal with our finances. Giving's one part of it. Even secular research will show you that the healthiest people, the healthiest people emotionally, they, the secular research shows this, they give away at least 10% of their money. It's true. Most millionaires, billionaires, uh, most of them are very, very big givers. It's healthy 
for your emotions. And so, so we will talk about it, but it's not, it's not, I really believe my motives are pure. Third John 2, John wrote this to people. He said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Well, that's my hope for you is that your soul would prosper. What's that mean? That you'd think right. And that as you thought right, that, you, that your, your finances would prosper and that your health would increase. How many of you know there's wisdom? You know, I, I love healing. I, I believe in healing. How many of you know there's wisdom about what you eat? You know, if you go to McDonald's every day, I mean, I, I watched a little bit of that documentary. I mean, the guy, you know, supersized me. Anybody remember that? I mean, it's fine to go to McDonald's every now and then, but if you go there every day, three days, I mean, it's bad for you. All right, so there's wisdom about our health. There's wisdom about our finances, and we want you to know about it. We don't want to hide from you what the Bible has to say about money because of fear of being offensive. Um, but full disclosure, you know, sometimes people think, well, the church just wants my money. Well, I mean, we do want you to give, and I don't feel bad about receiving offerings. And the reason I don't feel bad about it is because I believe in what we're doing. I really do. If I, you know, if I didn't believe in what, what we were doing, I don't know why I would be here, you know. And so I, I think that what we're doing helps people. And, and so I don't, I don't feel guilty about it. Um, but at the same time, I don't ever want people to feel pressured but also, just to understand the church is doing well financially. I just told you, you know, we're, we're saving for the future. We don't have any debt. We're, we're not under any pressure. All the bills are always paid. There's always enough and extra. So there's not, there's not like I've got to preach this really good or the thing is going to go under or something like that. All right? That's not, that's not what this is about. Also, full disclosure, personally, for Molly and I, our personal finances are in order. We're doing really well. Um, uh, we're not in debt, you know, if... if if the church goes under or something, I would be depressed because this is my dream. I'd feel bad about it, but I'd get over it, and then I'd go become a lawyer, and I'd make more money. So it's not <laughs> my, kids, my kids aren't going to starve, okay? None of that, none of that nonsense is, is occurring, all right? Um, also, I, you know, we, we personally don't have any debt except for our house, and, um, you know, we're saving for, for retirement. We're investing in things. Some of it's working. Some of it may not be, but... But without risk, there's no reward, okay? And so we're saving for the kids' future. Um, all, these, all these things are in order. I say that not to brag on us, but so that you understand that, that there's some... It, it's not good to take financial advice from people that are not doing well financially, right? So I, I want, you to, <laughs> want you to know we're, we're doing good. So we're not here to manipulate you. You know, if the church finances suddenly double overnight... Uh, that doesn't mean that I get a huge bonus or something silly like that. Uh, my salary is set once a year by the legal board. I don't have a say in that. They, they assign that, and it has to be based on um, churches our size and our resources and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, enough disclaimers. I, just, I, just, I don't want you to, to not listen to me because you're ashamed or because you're afraid of being manipulated. Is that okay? That's why, that's why I went over that. But... But Proverbs 28, 13 uh, says this. Look at it really quickly. He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Uh, if you could take out the word sin there, you can just put in the word problems. He that covers up his problems shall not prosper. <laughs> um, failure to talk about difficult issues just makes them worse. And so it's not always fun or easy, 
But I'm going to try to make it fun. I'll try to tell some jokes. Usually they're lame, but a lot of people have grace on me and laugh. Anyway, so I appreciate it. So we're not going to cover them over. All right. So I just wanted today to talk about uh, kind of by way of introduction, what's a healthy view of money? How should I think about money in a healthy way? Let's read the most famous verse in the Bible about money. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some have coveted after. And they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Well, boy, reading that in isolation, that sounds really discouraging and stressful. That makes me think I ought to stay as far away from money as I possibly can. And many people have taken it that way. In fact, as we talked about a few weeks ago, there were a group of people in the early church known as the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed that everything in the physical world was evil and that any kind of natural physical pleasure was evil. And so money, by definition, was evil. And you ought to stay as far away from it as possible. And some people went so far, there's a, a legend. I, I tried to verify this. It, it it may not be true because I couldn't verify it, but legend has it that St. Francis of Assisi, who he, he grew up in a very uh, carnal lifestyle, but after he got saved, supposedly he, he never touched physical money. He didn't want to, it's, it's evil. I want to stay away from it. The problem with that is somebody around him had to touch the money. So by not touching it, he forced somebody else to. Is that true? Money's not going to go away. Now, maybe, maybe someday Star Trek will happen and we'll all live in some sort of sci-fi sci utopia or something where there's no more money. But right now, there's money, and it's not going to go away. And we all want money. Just be honest. If I gave you $100 right now, you're not going to be like, no, I'm too holy. Okay, You'll probably be like, thank you, Jesus. Money, money exists. Money is in the world. I, I, don't, I don't get to say I'm not going to be involved in money. What I've got to figure out to do is how to have a healthy relationship with it. It's very similar to, and I don't, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, but if you're breathing, it's very similar to having a sex drive. You aren't going to get rid of that thing. Thanks for the one amen. Okay. It, <laughs> It doesn't, you can't, you can't wish it away. I've been a teenage boy. I've, I've prayed. I've tried. It doesn't go away. What you're supposed to do is direct it in a healthy way. You're supposed to bridle it. You're supposed to have a healthy relationship with it. Not an unhealthy one. So I've got to have a healthy relationship with money. And, and that starts with recognizing that it's not evil and I can't just hide from it. Do you know what this verse says? This verse does not say that money is the root of all evil. What does it say is the root of all evil? The love of money. The love of money. Now look, I love money, and you do too. I love my cat. I don't, like, I don't have a cat. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> if I had a cat, I'd love it. That was almost as bad as the time I made the joke about the dead dog. But, but anyway, um, <laughs> but I love my dog. I have a dog. I love my dog. 
I love ice cream. How many of you love ice cream? I love some Krispy Kreme donuts. I love my wife. I love God. I love Jesus. The word love can mean a lot of different things. How many of you know that? When I say I love Jesus, what I mean is I worship Jesus. What I mean is he's the, pr- the, the foremost in my life. He's, he's the highest and most important thing in my life. And when he says here the love of money is bad, what he's talking about is the worship of money. The idolatrous worship of money, putting money above Jesus. When I, when I make money an idol and I worship at it, it actually releases demonic forces into the earth to destroy me and wreak havoc in my life. But in the Greek, it doesn't say that the love of money is the root of all evil. It literally says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You can look that up. But it's, it, it means there's lots of different evil that proceeds from the love of money. But there's lots of evil that exists in life that's not because of money. I mean, just, just think about it for a minute, right? Sometimes it's because of jealousy. Sometimes it's, it's because of sex. Sometimes it's because, you know, the devil is here and he's evil. There's lots of evil that exists in the world that's not because of money. But there is lots of evil that is because of money. So we've kind of got to get over this idea that money is the reason that everything's wrong with the world. No. There are all these things that exist in the world that are good, but if I, if I worship them, you know, you know food. How many of you love food? Food's good. Thank God. I went to Molly and I, tomorrow's my, Molly and I's 13th wedding anniversary. And so Friday... 13 years with that beautiful lady, so we're blessed. But we went to this great restaurant. It was really nice. And I got a filet mignon with this sauce on it, you know, and, and it was cooked right, and it was bloody, and thank God, you know. And I ate that thing, and it was really tasty. There was nothing evil about it. And I loved eating it, but I didn't love it. I didn't worship it, Right? And if I start to worship food, how do I tell, how do I tell if I'm worshiping something? Well, if, if something tells me what to do and I listen to it more than God, then I'm probably in trouble. In fact, that's what Matthew 6, 24 says. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. Now, what's he mean there? And he says, you can't serve God and mammon. He says, you'll love one and you'll hate the other. He's not saying you'll hate money, the physical thing. He's saying you will hate when money tries to be your master. You'll hate the idea of money being your God, controlling you and telling you what to do instead of God. I hate money trying to tell me what to do. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's when it's a problem. But it's not a problem just to enjoy life. Read, if you're still in 1 Timothy, read seven verses later. This is an amazing verse, verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Now, now everybody's okay with that part. That makes total sense. Don't trust in riches. We all like that part. But look at this next part. It says... 
who gives us all richly, man, that's crazy. He gives us richly all things for what purpose? Does it say that? To enjoy. You mean it's okay for me to enjoy my steak? As long as I don't what? Worship it or trust in it. Now, what's he talking about here? He says, charge them that are rich in the world. The problem with verses like this is that when we read them, 99% of people say, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. You realize this was written 2,000 years ago, right? You realize how people lived back then? Everybody in here, chances are you are fabulously wealthy compared to the people that this was written to. If you compare my house to Solomon's house, I'd rather live in mine. Now, Solomon's was bigger, but mine has running water. Mine has air conditioning. I have a refrigerator. Thank you, Jesus. I have heat. I can push a button and the heat comes on. It's crazy. By virtue of being, by virtue of being born in this country, you're, you're, this is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. So this verse applies to you. What are you supposed to do? It says, charge those that are rich, you guys... Don't be high-minded, don't be, don't be proud, don't think you're better than somebody else. And don't what? Don't trust in your riches. I've got a nice house, but my faith's not in my house. My faith's in Jesus. Don't put, don't put your trust in, in your air conditioning, because the, you know, <laughs> the electricity might give out. Some of you may have had that happen, all right? We had that happen last year. It was crazy. Uh, man, it was hot. But anyway... But my trust isn't in that. My world didn't fall apart. Why? Because my trust is not in that. It's in Jesus. But what am I supposed to do with my riches? It says enjoy them. That's, man, that's a good word. You don't have to, you don't, now look, we're going to talk about giving and there's a responsibility to take care of the poor and to do all these sorts of things. We'll give a, we'll give a balanced look at it. All right, but if you've, if you've got some things, if you, if, you have a, you know, if you have a car that can drive you around, you know, you're doing better than Solomon. He had a bunch of camels, but his camels sure as heck couldn't get him here in 30 minutes. So when you're driving here, even if it looks like the thing might break down, say, thank God this isn't a camel. I'm blessed. The favor of God is on my life. I'm doing well. Increase is coming to me because... because Thank you, Jesus. Listen to me. Thankfulness is the posture of increase. So it's possible. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. Well, people look at that wrong and they think, well, if you're rich, then you're, you're serving mammon. You're serving, you're serving the demonic overlord of money. Well, you could be or you could not be. It's, it's a hard issue, not an external issue. It's possible to have lots of money and not be, not be controlled by it. It's possible to have not very much money and be very controlled by it. It's possible to not have much money at all and be very free from the control of money. And it's possible to be wealthy and be very controlled by the money. I can't tell by looking at you. Just like I can't tell 
You know, if you're, if you're in legalism by what you do externally. You know, I read the Bible through every year. I have a Bible reading plan. Some people might look at that and say, Pastor, you're in legalism. Well, you can't tell by looking externally because legalism is a hard issue. It's why do I do it? If I do it because I think God's mad at me, if I don't do it or if I think that if I do it, I earn brownie points with God and God will answer my prayers better because I've read the Bible every day, then that's legalism. But if I just do it as a discipline because I want to and I enjoy doing it and because I'm probably not going to read Lamentations unless I've got some kind of thing to, to make me do it, uh, then, then it's fine, okay? So I can't tell based on how much money you've got whether or not you're being controlled by mammon. It's a hard issue. So physical money, all it is, is it's just an inert thing. It's just a thing, and I want to have a healthy relationship with it. And so what I've got to figure out how to do, and we'll talk more about this next week, but I've got to figure out how to take my money and direct it and, and guide it in accordance with my core values. I've got to figure out what my values are, and then I want my checkbook to line up with my values. And if I do that, I'm set up for success. Well, how many of you are blessed? So let's go back to 2 Corinthians 9.8. I want to I close with the story real quickly. Again, it says in 2 Corinthians 9.8, how do you have a healthy attitude towards money? It says God's able to make all grace. Everybody say, all grace, all grace. is abounding towards me, abounding towards so, that I so that I may have enough, may have enough. And, extra and extra to abound, to, abound. To, every good work. to every good work. That's what the scripture says. Now look. Many times people in the church are taught that the best thing to do is just to not be greedy. Everybody's really afraid of being greedy, and I get it. Greed is bad. Covetousness is bad. Can we all agree with that? Okay, but thinking big is not inherently covetous. Because the more I've got, the more I can bless other people. And often, listen, hear what I'm about to say, don't get mad at me, often thinking small yes. is actually more selfish because it's about me and my five, usually it's me and my four, no more, but I got three kids, so it's me and my five, I can do the math every time, you know, and so I'll tell my, my you know, my pastor, Pastor Lawson Purdue, who's Pastor Cares Christensen in Colorado Springs, he pastored for 13 years in this little town in the middle of nowhere called Kit Carson, Colorado. They had about 100 people. They were doing really good. I mean, the town had like 200, so it was a miracle. People would drive 50 minutes to come to his church. And he pastored there for about 13 years, and he paid off his church. He paid off his house, paid off all his cars. He started a cattle business on the side. The thing grew. He was saving for retirement, and he had, it, and he, he had this thought, and he thought, well... If I can just save for retirement and I can figure out how to get my three boys through college, I'll be good. And a man named Andrew Womack came to his church. <laughs> and he started to preach. And in the middle of his message, he just stopped and he said this. Now, some of you are thinking, I've got my house paid off. I've got my car paid off. I just need to save for retirement. And I need to put my kids through college, and it'll be good. 
And God wants you to know you're thinking too small and it's actually selfish. My pastor's like, Ugh. <laughs> you got to understand. If you if you met him now, you wouldn't you wouldn't know this at all. But I mean, he he grew up and uh, he was he, his family was very poor. His his dad had epilepsy and couldn't work, and um, his mom was a school teacher. They lived in a in a trailer house in Pueblo, Colorado, which is a very impoverished uh, city. And um, God had to do a whole bunch of things in his heart and change the way that he viewed himself. And here's the thing, <laughs> he didn't have to do any of the stuff he did. He was doing really good. He was happy. Him and he, he was successful in his, in his life. But God said to him, I want you to move to Colorado Springs and start a new church. Well, there's tremendous risk in that, <clears throat> tremendous personal risk. He signed over his church uh, to another pastor, uh, sold his house, and took, took you know, what money he had and the people that he had, and he went with with three people and, and not much money and started a brand new church. And at first it didn't look very good. But he just kept at it and, and now, you know, they passed through like 1,300 people or something and they've effect, affected thousands and thousands of people and they've seen, you know, hundreds of people come to Jesus, they've seen lots and lots of people healed and they've seen stuff, you know, I don't know that I'd be here without Pastor Lawson's decision to go start that church. Now, now God, you know, God can find other people to do stuff. There's no shortage of people. So I'm sure if Lawson hadn't done it, God had raised up somebody else to do it. But I'm glad it was him. And I know that if I hadn't done this, that God would have raised up somebody else to do it. But I'm, I'm glad I got to do it. And I just want to be part of what God's doing. And, and I was wandering around his new building with him. So they, they've been there for, for about 12 or 13 years now at, the, at where they're pastoring. And, and you know, it's, it's really, it's not been for them. It's blessed them. It's helped them. But it's been for all these other people. And, and so, you know, uh, they were there. They had their church paid off again. <laughs> no debt. Uh, everything's going well. Kids through college. You know, they're blessed. And they're thinking, well, you know, I can do this forever until I, until I go home to be with Jesus. My pastor will never retire. Um, they'll have to drag him from the pulpit. But uh, anyway, but God <laughs> had another plan. And he said, look, I want you to go buy this building. It's 125,000 square foot. It's huge. It's five times as big as his church now that seats 1,000 people. And so... Uh, they bought it, and he's going to have it paid off in, in you know, just a little bit. But he was, he was walking around this building with me, and he was showing me all this stuff. And, and I, I just appreciate his transparency. And what he said to me was, you know, Max, I really didn't need to do this. <laughs> I, it's really stressful. And if you, I mean, it really is. It's, it's hard, very, very hard doing what he's doing. And, uh, and he's like, but, you know, it's just an opportunity for you, me to use my faith. That's what it is, because once you get to a certain level, you know, it starts to get easy again. And what do you do then? Well, you can settle, and that's fine. God's not mad at you. Or you can believe for increase. And if you believe for more, yeah, it's fine. It blesses you, but you can abound to every good work. Your influence can increase, and you can, you can change more and more lives. So I'm just telling you what I'm doing. I'm personally believing 
for more and more. I'm so, this, is, this is how I try to live, is I try to be really thankful for what God's doing, and I try to believe for more. So I'm really, really thankful for all the things that God's done here. I'm so thankful for all the people that, that uh, God's brought to us, but we're believing for more, and we're believing for more finances. We're believing that the church is going to grow. We're saving money, and we're going to get a building. God will bring us something at just the right time. It's not yet, but we're being patient. All right, sometimes here's the hardest thing in this whole process is that, is that everything is a process. Everything's a process, and you don't jump, you don't jump straight to being, being Andrew Womack on TV and all this, all right? How, how, did, how did that happen? Well, because, because Andrew, you know, for years did all these Bible studies in the backwoods of Colorado, and nobody knew who he was, and he was faithful with that. If you're just faithful with small stuff, it increases. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to keep taking good care. We don't do everything perfect, but we're going to try to keep taking good care of what God's given us. We're going to deal with the money the right way. We save at least 20% of everything that comes in. We've been doing more lately. We're up to about 80000 like I said. Um, we've got more money than that saved, but that's the building fund. And, and we'll just keep taking care of that. And then as that increases, God will give us more. And, and you know, in the kingdom, well, I'll teach this later, but there's... The kingdom's about exponential increase, not just, not just linear. There's, there's a, it's a parabola. Um, it's just a principle of life, actually. So anyway, things are going to increase. Then God's going to give us a building. We're going to take good care of that, and then we'll pay it off, and then he'll give us a bigger one. But the main thing I'm, I'm thinking about is, man, we're going to see lots of lives changed. That's what it's, that's what it's really about. It's not about... It's not about money or buildings or all that stuff. I, you know, we'd go meet in a tent if people would, you know, but people want air conditioning. We live in Johnson County, so I'm not, nobody's coming, to, nobody's coming to my church if there's not air conditioning. So there's certain financial realities. Cynthia would still come. I, I love you, sister. Anyway, let's, let's all stand up. Psalm 115, 14 says, The Lord will increase you more and more, you and your children. Let's all declare that together. If my prayer team could come down here, I'm going to declare this over everybody. And then if you need personal prayer, you can come down and receive it. Let's say this together. The Lord will increase me more and more, me and my children. I am blessed. The favor of God is upon my life, and it's blessing me and the people around me. Everywhere I go, everything I touch is blessed. Problems flee from me. Blessing comes, and when there are problems, I don't stress, I just let God see it, and He fixes it, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, how many of you believe that, give the Lord a hand, amen, we'll, we'll leave it on there for you, alright, I'm going to pray for everybody, if you need personal prayer, you can come down, Father, we thank you, we believe your word, we believe that you are blessing us, Lord. Not for selfish reasons, not, you know, not any of that, but so that we can abound to every good work, so we can see lives changed. And we just
receive all that you have. We thank you for it. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.